man, that was what I call a fuckload of fun. That was that was great. I love the spirits. The spirits Ooh. in the glass. Now, now do your best Anna or Anna interpretation without making her sound like fucking Schwarzenegger. He comes back to my village like the chameleon. <laughs> Hello, audience. Well, well, what have Wham Bam Cam and I confirmed with fucking confidence? That we need not be a one-trick pony, pigeonholed, and imprisoned by just one sole theme. White-collar black belt is a grand fucking time. But here, whiskey, we will sip. Profanity, we will let slip as we host a pod of 100% goddamn genuine drip. Can I get an amen, Wham Bam Cam? You fucking man. Welcome, you tipsy gypsies, you drunk monks. Welcome to Whiskey Wednesdays with Wham Bam Cam. Second Wednesday, Francis Scott Whiskey. Having good ideas, if you keep them to yourself, they will die of loneliness. Mm. So I think it's a good idea that if you have a good idea, share that shit. Go out and share it with everybody that you come in contact with. Treat it like COVID. Breathe on their faces <laughs> with your idea. You can talk about the idea. You can you can actually discover if it's a good idea, if it's going to hold up, if there's some major plot hole flaws with it. I think talking about your good ideas and sharing them with the world is really the only way to fly. 100% agreed. Yeah, the Wright brothers definitely didn't get their plane off the ground without talking to each other or utilizing friends to uh, get things going. They probably wouldn't have beaten up big name airplane companies nowadays that back then were trying to figure it out, right? I have actually been to Kill Devil Hills, where the Wright mm. brothers did their four test flights. And I took the time to walk the distance. I said, you know what? Even though it's raining today and it's cold, if those motherfuckers could fly it, I'm going to walk it. I walked all the like 400 yards or whatever, the length of their last little test flight. And then I turned around and walked my happy Irish ass up the hill to the monument. And it was That's a trek. Cool. That's cool. I was sweating profusely. I was not clever enough to think about this for the last episode, but starting now, I come up with this terminology for, you know how we're going to take a moment here and talk about the, what we're drinking today and the significance yes. of it? Yeah. Effective immediately, audience. Ooh. This segment will be called The Lore of the Poor, where we talk about the reasoning and the historical relevance of what we poured into our glasses. So why don't you um? Why don't you start first with the lore of the poor? Lore Man. of the poor. Here, here is my lore of the poor. Uh, mine will be mine will be a little simple. It is the same concoction that I had last week, but with a slight twist. Falsetto, I I took that advice, <laughs> uh, and, and our audience can't see it because we're not on on YouTube or nothing yet. But I added I don't know half a dozen pecan halves in there. I've been letting those marinate. And uh, at the end of this episode, I'm going to yank those bad boys out of there and go to town on them. Uh, but to remind anybody who may have missed our first Whiskey Wednesday episode, uh, so this is a, a Texas whiskey called Blind Squirrel Peanut Butter Whiskey. It does taste just like peanut butter. Very, very smooth. 90 proof. It is very, very good. I like it straight, but you can mix it with cranberry juice or, or what have you make a, a peanut butter and jelly drink. I changed the ice stones this time, though. I, I can't, and I'm, I'm sorry if there are any of my Friends or family listening now, but I got like these uh, like D and D dice. They're little D twelves, uh, but they're frozen uh, ice blocks for it. So it's nice and uh, fancified. It's, I'm, I'm like ready to go play some D and D and drink whiskey at the same time. 
Well, I'm thrilled that you took my advice. I figured that much like with the vodka gummies that you probably enjoyed in high school, possibly middle school, it's a whole new concept where you get these boozy nuts that you can suck on later. I think that your little peanut butter concoction gives a whole new meaning to peanut butter jelly time, peanut butter, peanut jelly, butter time. jelly time. Imagine if every time someone sang that song, you took a swig. Woo-wee! Oh, I'd be jacked. You'd be singing yourself from prison. I was anticipating for my lore of the poor. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking I said something like a whore is poor. And no, I didn't. I said lore with an L. La, 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 la. Follow me along, audience. La, 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 la. Lore of the poor. But I was anticipating going to the liquor store today after I got my title from the DMV, right? So I, they're about to be sending me a title without any lien on it. Because apparently you got to pay. Nice. The, you got to pay for the fucking privilege, even though I already paid off the loan. And then they send you this title, but you have to pay to get another title. What the fuck? Anyways, we're not talking about that. We're talking about the fact that in, in this state, for whatever reason, the liquor store does not open until 11. So I was not going to come home and then go back out. So I just busted into my zombie apocalypse, World War Z, Walking Dead, this specialty, Whistle Pig, Small Batch Rye, aged 10 years. Ooh. And I busted into that bad boy. I was anticipating Pavlonian saliva style to be imbibing Wild Turkey 101, Gut Shot, Rock Gut Whiskey. But this unexpected twist has led to this Whistle Pig. And what I can tell you about Whistle Pig is that it's uh, made in... Alberta, Canada, some, and it's also uh, made in Vermont, USA. It's got a 50% alcohol, which is a 100% proof. It claims that it has minty, earthy, with wood spice, and hints of chamomile and lavender. Man, I mean, if it doesn't work as a drink, you could probably put it in your baby's diaper, right? Um, Absolutely. Either way, it seems to be pretty pretty damn fine, pretty damn fine. And then uh, the palate for those fancy whiskey drinkers, it says that it immediately hits with warming rye spice that allows the heat to punch above its proof. Punch. Ow. I don't know why it has to be so violent. I guess it's because there's a... It's Walking Dead. Oh, yeah. It's Walking Dead. It has to be violent. That's right. That's right. So yeah. look, look at that. Alluding to yeah. a previous observation. I like it. Boom. Wham Bam, why don't you tell us a story about... I don't know. What was your what was your high and low of the day? You know, what was your, what was your highest moment? What was your lowest moment? All right. We'll start with the low first. I, at work, am... I've, I've had the benefit of this past year to help build a department from nothing, uh, which has been really cool. Uh, but the way that this department is growing and scoping out I kind of done it's, it's going down a path that i i'm not excited about right so i don't want to own it anymore uh and that's that's the beauty of, of being a program manager uh is you can kind of build something and then let it go but the issue is here i don't have really anybody to take it uh at the moment and i thought we were getting close uh my my boss was telling me the, the last few weeks that there's this position that they want to get me in uh, but there's another person that's in it right now they were performancing them out right they were they're eventually they're out of the company uh, which is unfortunate for the person, but good for me because the position they're in, I want. I thought it was going to be happening this week. Uh, I was like, hey, so, uh, and my boss has been on vacation, so she's back today. I was like, hey, so, uh, how about the thing? And she just looked up at me and she was like, not going to happen this week. And I was like, ah. And I guess what happened was this, this some idiot out there, some fucktard sent an email to this person requesting them to fill in these certain gaps that I guess was on this person's action plan that they had forgotten to do. And they did that only because my boss was out and they thought they were helping my boss by doing that to this person. But my boss was like, I already sent those expectations. They were going to miss their deadline. So because of all that, and someone intervened trying to help my boss, but it wasn't a help, I have to wait a little bit longer and, and, and keep trucking away uh, at this at this other department, which is okay. Like, I mean, I built it. I love it. It's moving into more of like a, a data analytics role. And those who know me out there, uh, my phrase is uh, math are hard. So I'm, <laughs> I want out. I don't. I want. I want to. I want to do the math. Uh, uh. But yeah, so that was that was pretty rough. The 
highlight of my time. So the hi- the highlight of my day outside of recording this podcast with you, of course, will set up. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I just told you. I'm pretty excited that I'm getting a. I have a cheap desk that I, I work at here at home, recording this podcast with you all right now, and I'm getting a new one. And I'm pretty excited about that. Is this person that you're waiting for them to be pushed out? Are they of the male or female persuasion? Female. So on an unrelated note, audience, update news story. There's a female in the general Texas area who is now found dead. And she was the proud owner of a large, solid oak desk with mahogany. And now, I believe all of Wham Bam Bam's wishes will come true to fruition. Mahogany. I have no clue. It would not be a Francis Scott whiskey episode if I did not at least remind you of who the fuck Francis Scott Key really is. So I will briefly tell you, what do you know about, what do you know about Francis Scott Key? Wham Bam, do you have, is that, is any, any rumblings come to mind when you hear that name? (laughs) They, uh, wrote the national anthem. Okay. Very crude, yes, but I will tell you that the former story, the official story, is that he was an American lawyer. He was an author. Oh, wow. He was an amateur poet. He was a a poet and we didn't even know it. He resided in the Maryland area and he was best known for writing the lyrics for the American national anthem, the Star Spangled Banner. Now, sadly, I do not know most of the lyrics to that. So I'm starting to feel very unpatriotic at the moment, but I will just read Lone Survivor before I go to bed and I will sleep like a child. Basically, what happened was there was, uh, this was during the war, or this was a few years after the war of 1812, but the British were bombing the shit out of Fort McHenry. And after the fort took a hell of a beating, Francis Scott Key was inspired because he saw an American flag still flying over the fort at dawn, which prompted him to write something called the Defense of Fort McHenry. And it was published within a week, and it slowly, you know, transformed to the Anacreon in heaven. And then it just took on the Star Spangled Banner. Now, what's funny is, is, is touching it as a story as that may be, what really happened was, okay, so the, the fort was under continual bombing, and then the British were not able to destroy the fort. <laughs> Remember, Wham Bam, only two good things came out of England. Us and the Rolling Stones. That's it. You have to throw the Beatles in there. I know, I know. Okay, all you're right. Either, you're either a Beatles person <laughs> or you're a Rolling Stones person. I like, I like both. You're either a pinball person or you're a video game person. Like, you have to pick. And I just, I thought, I guess I thought that the Rolling Stones were more edgy. You know, what the hell do I know? I wasn't alive then. So he sees the American flag flapping in the wind. He feels all patriotic. But it had been sewn by Mary Young Pickersgill at the request of the fort commander. What, see, this, this is interesting for this episode. What Mr. Key was observing was not even reality. Like, he's seeing this flag flapping in the wind thinking, oh, they have this unkillable spirit. No, some a-hole was like, yo, Mary, whoop up a quilt, would you please? We gotta, we gotta, we gotta put something up, but don't make it look like a white quilt because then it's like we're surrendering. So make it, make it with some other colors. Okay, Mary? And she's like, okay, if I must. Ultimately, decades later, President Woodrow Wilson declared that the Star Spangled Banner should be played at official events. And then, a few years after that, President Herbert Hoover, along with Congress, made the song the official U.S. national anthem. Now, what's interesting about this is that this guy, Mr. Key, along with writing that, he also owned some slaves. And at the time, the abolitionists, who were some of his biggest critics, they said that the land of the free, and they called it the home of the oppressed. Later on in life, he became a leader of the American Colonization Society which sent freed slaves to Africa, and he freed some of his own in the 1830s. And then later, 
he publicly criticized slavery and gave free legal representation to some slaves seeking freedom. All this to say, what have we learned about Mr. Key? He was an ambivalent person. Some good, some bad. But you know what's sad, Wham Bam, is that I'm convinced that these kids today, they're going to focus 100% on the slavery and 0% on the lawyer, the writer, the star-spangled banner creator. That's what I'm concerned about is nobody's perfect, but you have to take the good strokes with the shitty strokes. And you can't paint everything with the same brush stroke. You're absolutely right. Um, being able to... Like, like, there's things me and you disagree on. You prefer the Rolling Stones. I, I wanted the Beatles. Whatever. I the Beatles. Uh, like, <laughs> but like, you know, it's a, it's a soft, that's a soft disagreement there, regardless of how much you made me cry just a second ago. Um, but like, seriously, like, we can't always 100% like everything about somebody. Uh, that's going to be in your daily life, friends, family, coworkers, whatever. There's going to be things you like about people. Uh, think of them, your most favorite coworker right now, whoever it is. Did you like 100% of the things they did 100% of the time? Probably not. If you said yes, I'm calling you out. Like, I'm going to stick you in a room with them for 30 days um, with like toast and a butter knife and we'll see what happens, right? You just you just can't. You got to be able to take the good with the bad, right? And, and ignore the bad. If you don't like it, you can speak your mind, but it doesn't mean you need to like throw stones at the person. Bro, I considered a exemplary friend at work, someone who would pee on me if I was on fire. Dang. And that's all I requested. It's like, would you pee on me if I was in flames? And they were like, mm, yeah, I would consider stepping away from my workstation to do so. Well, all right. That's all I needed to know. Thank you. That's all you needed. That's all you needed. I want to, I want to take it back a little bit though, uh, to Francis Scott Key and think of that. Like he saw a, at the time he didn't know was a historical event, right? And wrote that into this, this pamphlet or, or short book. So be it back then. And he, he wasn't the only one that did that during the time of America's growth. I mean, you have folks like, you know, John Adams, uh, Alexander Hamilton, and they would just write these pamphlets or the or these leaflets. And the, these weren't official newspapers or, or anything like that. They're almost like the podcasters of the time. Hmm. Well, I think that a lot of the decisions that went into things like full-blown revolution were happening in, well, the equivalent of coffee shops. Yeah. But you know, what was important for all of that was people felt that they could communicate in a marketplace of ideas and they could express themselves and they could talk about things that were provocative or that were challenging or that possibly undermined the big theories at large without fear of being tarred and feathered. Oh, so when you were talking about leaflets, you know, I do remember from what I'm able to recollect from school, I think I remember a guy, Thomas Paine. Mm, uh, he, yeah. was the, he was instrumental in a lot of the populace's ideas on what, how things are and how things should be. I distinctly remember his name. Common sense. Yep. The pamphlet, the common sense. And that was, when you saw, when you said pamphlet, Thomas Paine came to mind. If only I had the common sense to remember common fucking sense. But no, that's <laughs> it. That's, um, but no, you're right. So that's, that's the, that's the issue though, is I believe, I believe a good idea exists. It will stand the test of time yes. and it will stand up to criticism. It will stand yes. to scrutiny. But the problem is that now, for example, and I don't know if it's because people don't want other people to air their concerns because they're afraid that it might actually get some traction. I don't know. I think that when nobody can talk about any conceivable disagreement, then the good ideas are never really able to be tested. And if there are bad ideas, well, they'll just stay the course because they're never properly challenged. Now, I know this is going to sound like this is coincidence, audience, but when he just said that about being somewhere in history and not even realizing the momentousness of that event, 
this is the question that I was going to ask you. And okay. audience, this was just, these are just random questions that I that occurred to me. Wham bam, did I send you a script of sorts of things to consider? No, no, did not. So the question was, what is an important moment in history that you, wham bam cam, can think of? Something that people did not think about with proper attention at the time, but would develop into something world changing. What do we have? We don't know, but we have something. And because they were stubborn, because they were dogged, it actually turned into something that made ripples for centuries. You can stew on it. You don't have to answer it right this second. But that was the question that I was going to pose to you throughout the course of Whiskey Wednesday, numero dos. So I just think that's crazy because that, like, we were thinking about the same thing, but just from two different viewpoints. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, you've got me, since we started with, with Francis Scott Key and, and, and the American Revolution, like, that's kind of where my head is in history at the moment. Uh, so, like, the first thing that I can think of is, it's like, dude, they were, they were going to, they were going to raise everybody's tax on tea by, by three cents a pound. Obviously, back then, that's a crap ton of money. So what do they do? Yeah, we have we have the Tea Party. And it was like that initial step into the American Revolution. Do you think they were doing that, knowing, oh, this is going to go down in history, and or this is going to start the war, or, or anything like that? No, it was just them protesting. That was their protest. Right. They, they, had, they had no idea this was going to... That was the pivotal turning moment for Americans. Uh, I was literally... I was listening to... Wasn't this current one, but a Jocko podcast episode where he, he talks about the Boston Tea Party just a little bit and kind of compares it to, to, to today's state uh, here in America. And it's like, at what point, like the last two years, we've just had a crap ton of stuff dumped on us, lockdown and what you can and can't do. Like people literally boarding over public basketball hoops to try and prevent people from going outside. Like, where does it stop? Americans can only take so much. Right. And that's what Jocko was saying in this podcast. He's like, and let's go. And he's from Boston. So he, he immediately went to, he's like, so back in Boston, when we had the tea party, like he's there, it was just funny. And, and, but that was, that was the tipping point then. Like it was just repression, 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 repression from the British. And it was like, fine, now you're taking more of our money. Here we go. Well, you know, as far as oppression goes, it's funny how the way people communicate has changed. So the oppression misinformation campaigns have changed. They become more technologically savvy, right? So I know that you're familiar with the show Mandalorian. Oh, yeah. And then you have Cara Dune, right? Played oh. by the ex-MMA uh, fighter uh, Gina Carino. I distinctly remember this happening where she posted on her Twitter account comments to the effect of, it was really kind of looking at things. It, she wasn't making like a gross accusation. It was more like the magnifying glass on the ant. She's taking a step back through this wide angle magnifying glass lens. And she's saying, you know, it's really sad what's happening to our country. And then she made a comment that like, you know, during Hitler's rise to power in the 30s, late 30s and get into the World War II, they would round up people and, and they were just never seen again. She drew that equivalent to like what's happening with social media, where if you make a comment that is not in the majority, or if you make a comment that people find to be insensitive, even if it's just commenting on uh, one side of the political spectrum, you are essentially blacklisted. Now, to me, I think she could have used an example that was like more relevant to America, like with communism in the McCarthy era. It would have been probably more acceptable, like in a, in a wide social perspective. But what she said is true. You've heard of people that have posted something that's just a, a benign comment, but it, it happens to be a minority viewpoint. And then they are, they're fired. They're shunned. What's so funny about it is that, well, it's not funny, but it's hilarious. You know what I mean? It's hysterical that. In this, in the, in the same sentence, they're saying you have to accept everyone and everyone needs to be loved, given a trophy. They're a treasured, unique snowflake. But in the same sentence, like put a little semicolon in there, same sentence, but a slightly different thought is you're saying, Oh, well, you made this insensitive comment. Okay. You're fired and you've lost your Twitter privileges 
and nobody's going to talk to you, and nobody's going to give you any quarter or shelter. And guess what happened, Pontius, as, as, as the real-life circumstance? you remember what happened to her? What did Disney do to her contract for season two Mandalorian, Wayne Bam? None. She was fired within, like, 48 hours. It was so fast. And, they, and people were familiar with this, the first season of it. They were building her arc to something huge. Gone. Gone. Huh. And was, you know what? I'm, I'm, and yes. I don't know. I don't know all the ins and outs. I'm not an authority. I was not involved in her contract. I don't know all the yeah, points. But all same. I know is she didn't have any crimes on her person. She posts this one comment that's really just saying, "Like, come on, guys. Like, let's just settle down." Boom. Terminated. Get, get your shit together. Right. Terminated. Like, get, like, get your shit t- terminated. Oh, she got um, fucking terminated. She, fucking, she, she's not a fucking quiet boy. She's a quiet boy compared to him. It, now, don't get me wrong. I don't mind seeing Katie sack off with uh, as the Bo-Katan, you know, who will come in in season two. But I just they're making the point for me. Life is unfolding, and it's kind of like in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Life can move pretty fast, and if you don't take a look every once in a while, you might just miss it. You need to pay attention, audience, if you are not already, to the blasphemy and the hypocrisy and just the crazy things that are happening all around us at all times. Absolutely. It's a mad, mad, crazy world that we live in. Were you going to sing Were you gonna sing that Mad World by Gary Jules? Okay, I don't know who did the original. So I think maybe Tears for Fears did the original, and then Gary Jules did the remake that was so popular in Donnie Darko. Mm. And then the Pentatonics have done a fucking remake of it. Yeah. So it's, it's what, very what haven't the Pentatonics touched, though? <laughs> they haven't touched me. Not yet. Turn around. Turn around every <laughs> oh, now. Uh, see? But what's funny is, what if the Pentatonics did a cover of Turn Around? It just, it, it falls in on itself. Oh, Holy man. shit balls. Now, audience, I know that you're struggling to stay along with this plot thread, as we are just, woo! We are just, we're like, we're, we're like water buffalo. It's like, hey, any grass will do in a pinch. We do have a cohesive point. So with these Whiskey Wednesdays, they're meant to be vent sessions. You gotta grade yourself, man, bam. So like, if, if a B, if a B plus is we're able to vent, and we're able to make sense, and we're able to have a good time, that's probably a B plus. But what an A, A plus I think would look like is if in these discussions, one of us, perhaps both of us, walk away with these new realizations. Like, holy... So, like, I didn't even know you liked the Beatles. Like, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Mm-hmm. I'm like, he, he likes the Beatles. I didn't even know that. Yeah, man. You know, you think you, you, think, you, think you know a guy. Yeah, I think you know a guy. I did want to ask you... I know... Okay, I know your dad is your hero. And that's, and that's fine. Now, some of us were not fortunate enough in life to have a hero so close to home. There are things that I admire about my father, to be sure. but. You know, hero, that's not a term that you can just slap, slap around, slap around like a wet noodle. I read this article once that said kids identify with heroes when they're kids, like when, while they're, while they're in the stages of growing up, while they're in their formative years, you get to the angst of high school. And of course, you're really looking for heroes. But as those kids age, they suddenly start identifying more with the villains, right? Like the villains motivations make, make more sense. Basically, it's a really artistic way of saying life makes you jaded. You have these really optimistic, glass half full motherfuckers and then life gets in the way and suddenly it's like okay you've got an empty styrofoam cup and a pickle that nobody wants that's what you have not a glass half full but what do you think i mean do you think that there's some logic to that do you did you appreciate the heroes more when you were when you were taught and now you prefer the villains or did you always like the villains you sick son of a bitch well i'd like to say maybe i yes so yes i absolutely followed that that rhetoric i was all about the heroes growing up I probably converted villain-wise maybe younger, maybe the most. I don't know. Maybe MIT's done some sort of study. But I am hardcore into uh, quite a lot of anime uh, and was exposed to it quite young. 
But back then, uh, there wasn't a lot of ways to watch it on American television uh, outside of very late night on Cartoon Network uh, when it would turn into Toonami. And it always started with Dragon Ball Z. That is the show I, I would stay up into the wee hours of the night as I was growing up watching. And of course, your main protagonist there is Goku. And so it was like, everybody wanted to be Goku. I wanted to be Goku. Everybody, all my friends. And we act out episodes of the show or whatever, right? But man, pretty early on, maybe junior high, especially now, uh, the, whole, the older I'm getting, one of the early antagonists in Dragon Ball Z uh, eventually becomes pretty pretty close to Goku, but more of like a rival at that point. He, he's a villain. Uh, his name is Vegeta. And that's man, a, that's, a, that's a cooler name than the good guy name. Yeah, that's right. Vegeta, he's badass, man. And he is quite, he has this crazy redemption arc, but he always kind of, he, he can keep Goku honest, even though they don't like go to blow to blow anymore. It's, it's, it's being able to keep him honest, but man, he's a, he's a bad mofo. And I understand his, his jaded look at life. Like he's got this crazy past and everything that kind of made him who he was. Um, there's a lot of fan theory out there. Like what if the roles were reversed? Right. But man, it's, I definitely stick to that. Uh, another quick way to put that, because we've talked about the cape and the cow before. Um, but yeah, everybody loves Batman. Batman's a badass, man. Comes out of the darkness with nothing and knocks you out before you even realize what's going on and hold you over a cliff by the skin of your teeth and saying, where is she? Um, and, and you have to, and you have to answer or you get dropped. But dude, uh, and especially Heath Ledger's Joker. Dude, definitely understand that one, man. The older I get, it's like, man, he wasn't really crazy. He was just calling out the actual crazy people. I think something's wrong with him. Well, by societal standards, I would be considered, it would be considered aberrant or deviant behavior because I remember watching Heat the first time when I was like, okay, so it came out in 95. I don't think I watched it until it was on HBO. So say 90, uh, 1996. I was rooting for, for my boy Robert De Niro the whole way. And let's not forget that during the bank robbery, some innocents got killed. They got, they got got, okay? Yep. So he's a, he's a killer of men. And yet, to me, he was everything that Al Pacino was not, even though Al Pacino was the, well, he was the hero, but he wasn't, he was a flawed Greek tragedy figure hero. Yeah. I, I was rooting for Robert De Niro. I wanted him to get away. I wanted Val Kilmer to get away. And I damn sure wanted Michael Trevino, played by Tom Sizemore, to get away. So I'm rooting for the bad guys. They're the bank robbers. These heroes and villains from a classic sense. I mean, I'm watching Smallville. Man, I'm all about that Lex. I'm all about that Lex. But it's funny because the brain full circle. I never gave a shit about Superman. You know, he's flying around with his little tidy whities on the outside, and he's he's an idiot. You're telling me that the man who can like melt things with molten lava eye beams, that the best he can find is is Lois. Okay, she, <laughs> she's like she's like an average middle aged woman with a, with an attitude. Smallville though actually got me in in Clark Kent's corner because his representation by Tom Welling was so yeah. well done, so masterful, and he's actually going for for Lana. And I'm like, all right, now that that I get. So he actually completely changed the complexion of the Superman hero character to me, just from watching, you know, 10, 10 seasons of Smallville. I'm glad that I was able to come around. But man, Lex, Lex was a sexy villain, man. I mean, he had the money, he had the wardrobe, he knew what wine to pair with what steak. I mean, he just was, he was the man. Shame on them for confusing children and making the villains so damn likable. Yeah, man, it's a, that's a huge trope nowadays. Like, I think, I don't think it was as common, like, as, as you and I were growing up. Maybe it was, we just weren't old enough to understand, but like that, that villain and being able to humanize them as they have their conflicts or, or their versus battles with the hero in this week's episode, you feel for them. You want them to go down, but at the same time, you're like, ah, oh, but then like, what about this person that they're doing it for or whatever, right? Like it definitely can confuse the soul. Well, I have one of the most confused souls. My soul is so afflicted. It's a stain on its own soul. I got a question for you. 
go back in time in your head and you've never seen the predator before. I know I'm asking for quite a lot, but you've never seen the predator. I know who your hero is from that movie, but if you were to watch it for the first time right now, not knowing anything about it, you didn't know who Arnold was, you don't know nothing. You're watching the movie for the first time. Who are you rooting for? The jungle girl, Anna. Because oh. for two reasons. One, she's the only girl in this entire South American country, apparently. And she's, right. <laughs> she's up there with these like muscle bound, testosterone fueled madmen. She's holding her own. She tried to escape, not once, but twice. And she says cool shit like, whatever it was, his blood was on the leaves. You hurt him. Like the chameleon, he comes back to my jungle and he transforms into the chameleon. And, and along with Arnold, she was the only other person that survived. So I'm thinking, yeah. I'm thinking yeah. Anna, Anna was kind of a cool, okay. kind of a cool chick. I was hoping that they bring her back. They kind of did, like in a different iteration with that, that awesome chick that grabbed Bill Paxton by the balls and, and squeezed really oh. hard when he was mouthing off to her. But all right. Freaking Bill Paxton, dude. I apologize, Wham Bam. I apologize, audience. I know that my impersonation of Anna sounded a lot like Arnold, but for some reason I, I can do an accent, but then when I have to split off into multiple characters, I've got that tunnel vision on that one Austrian oak, and I can't deviate from it. So that's why I made her very masculine and Austrian. My apologies. It's also been the, the whiskey uh, that, that added that gruffness, right, to, to your accent. We'll, we'll just blame it on the, blame it on the whiskey. Whiskey, whistle pig. I mean, it doesn't sound very <laughs> intense, but it is very deceiving. And it's hallucinogenic awesome. properties. Dang. I want to tell you, we brought up Bill Paxton a second ago. And, you know, rest in peace, man. Like, it's getting over, man. Can't say it anymore. Did you see how many things were out there? Those are things that would kill us, man. That's over. It's over. Sigourney it's Weaver had to put that motherfucker in his place yeah. and say, get your, get your shit together. But I wanted to say, uh, I, I was telling you, I can't remember if it was on a podcast or, or in real life, man, but like the, the wife and I were re-watching and, and getting through the, the final seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We had never, we never finished watching it. And uh, Bill Paxton is on one season uh, really early on. I can't remember if it's like season three or four. Spoiler alert for everybody, it's like 10 years old at this point, but like he is a double agent uh, and our good guys have to go for him. And it's pretty cool. He's, he's Bill Paxton's an excellent villain at that stage of his career. But, uh, and then of course, he ends up passing. In some of the later seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, there's a little bit of time travel and interdimensional things happening. If you're caught up in the MC universe, uh, that this Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. show kind of follows the same same thing. And so a young version of this character Bill Paxton plays uh, appears on the show. And I'm like, man, this actor has got it, man. He, he sounds like Bill Paxton. He's telling jokes like Bill Paxton. He must have really studied this fool. The credits roll for that first episode. It's his goddamn son. What? And I'm like blown the fuck away, man. Like, how cool is that? That they approached his son and was like, listen, here's this character. We wanted to bring him back. Your dad played him. We want you to be him as a younger. And to be able to step up and do that blew me away, man. How fucking cool was that? So I thought I'd share that info with you. Like, that that's fucking badass. What's his name? Shit, I'll have to look it up right now. Just call him Shit Paxton. Shit Paxton. He got a bad deal from day one. James. James, James Paxton. Paxton. I always like Bill Paxton, and I'm not alone in that because I've never heard anyone besmirch the name of Batman. I'll tell you this. He was that character that you were always happy to see. What do you remember from Aliens? You remember Sigourney Weaver being a badass. You remember Michael Bean being a total badass. Do you know how pissed I was when Alien 3 came out and Michael Bean was just dead? Are you fucking kidding me? Corporal Fucking Hicks. terrible. <laughs> but you remember Bill Paxton's speech. What do you remember from Predator 2? You remember Bill Paxton wearing this ridiculous hat 
saying things like, it's my specialty. What do you remember from True Lies? Do you remember the whole Jamie Lee Curtis, I'm going to put on a strip show for Arnold Schwarzenegger? No. Uh, well, yes. But, no. but what you really remember is Bill Paxton saying ridiculous shit like, yeah. well, if he was taking care of business, I, I'd be out of business. You know what I'm saying? It's, and then, of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger's like, what's about the husbands? He's like, Nicholas. And then it, it's just, he's just always a welcome presence. And did you know, I don't know what else he directed, but he directed this little fear-oriented movie called Frailty. Starring a, okay. fair, a fairly young Matthew McConaughey, and Bill Paxton directed it, and he stars in it. He plays Matthew McConaughey's father, and it is a dark, psychological, kind of elevated horror movie that came out. I want to say it came out in the early 2000s, but dude, it was a good one. I recommend if you ever see it on TV, watch a film called Frailty, Frailty. with uh, Matthew McConaughey, Powers Booth, and Bill Paxton. But that was Bill Paxton's, I think it was his directorial debut. So okay, there you go. okay. That's cool, man. I thought you'd like that. Tidbit I do. I do like information. It. I do, I do. I've recently discovered, as I've had time to reflect on who I am and why I'm that way, I really struggle with precon- what I call preconceived leanings. For example, my main man, Wham Bam, he's had a bad experience or two at a little franchise called Chili's, and he's possibly had a bad experience at the sister company, Applebee's. Wait, you, you just said two things, but I, I didn't hear those. What, what was that again? Oh, that's right. What place? This is where he's going to not even acknowledge them vocally that they exist. Yeah, I'm acknowledging that I'm acknowledging that they don't exist, okay. acknowledging that. That's the only example I can think of off, my, off the top of my head. But what I struggle with is I've had a shitty experience with the dentist. I've had a shitty experience with the DMV. I've had a shitty experience with guys named Kyle. How do you not struggle? Okay, it's the whole probability of a coin flip, right? Now you have a head and you have a tail. It's a 50-50 shot every time you flip that fucking coin. But you get into this illusion, kind of like with a roulette wheel, that it's been a head 10 times in a row. So you think that because of that, the likelihood of it being a tail is somehow skyrocketed, but it hasn't. It's still 50-50. It's just chance. Just because you've had a bad experience, or maybe you've had multiple bad experiences, how do you, wham bam, train yourself to go into these experiences where you've had a shitty prior experience with an open mind and not let the prior leanings, the preconceived leanings, fuck up your experience this time? How do you do that? Because it's hard Mm. for me. And and I think I'm in that boat with you. I'm trying as I grow as an adult, as I air quote myself here, I have not made promises to never air quote, so I will. Having an unbiased approach after you've had the experience already. We'll go with the Kyle example. Um, Kyle's. <laughs> no two Kyles can be treated equally, right? Kyle A is going to be different than Kyle B, period. Uh, it, we, it, could we, be like, it could be like Tosh, where it's like Kyle 2.0. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna say that I have two of the same name associates who work for me really? uh, in in my department, and uh, one who worked for me about six months longer, and and one who just joined us just a few weeks ago, and it's been funny because you know we've been we were throwing around the whole 2.0 uh, like this is how we'll separate them or go street extreme military like we'll go by last names, but I was like nah that's not good enough man, I, so I, I was like channeling in my head what would falsetto do what would falsetto do your wonderful talent of being able to give people nicknames. I came up with one for the one who's been here in my department longer. The one that's been there longer, you like better. Well, and it's just because I've worked with him longer. Uh, this, this, this new one, he's already gaining that trust quick and easy, man. He, okay. he, he knows. But this, this, this uh, the one who's been here longer. So the new one, he just gets called by his name. He, he gets that privilege. The one who's been with me longer, he didn't really have a choice. I gave him an ultimatum. I go, hey, I can either start calling you by your brother's name, which he did not want. Uh, he does not have that great of a relationship with his brother. I go, oh, we can call you Old Willie. 
which is an iteration of his last name. And he was like, yep, please, let's go with that. And it has taken, let's probably about a week ago I did this, and it has taken fire. Like the entire department is calling him this uh, to the point where in our online chat communications, uh, he has changed his name on there to say, Ole Willie. That's great. It's just wow. fun. Wow. But those those two, so we'll we'll bring it back. I, I know I want you to we're gonna pause for a moment because I want you to, to bask in my finally being able to come up with a nickname on my own. All right. We are not pausing shit. That was all recorded just then. Okay. All right. So <laughs> they know. Um, so we'll go they know. <laughs> we'll go back to Kyle and Kyle two point We alluded this a little bit at the beginning of the episode as well. You have to take the good with the bad. Take the bad with the good, right? Kyle and Kyle 2.0 may have extremely similar traits. Maybe they like the same shows. Uh, maybe they chase after the same women, but they just, one's a Chevy guy and one's a Ford guy. I'm not going to bring Dodge into the mix. That's a touchy subject for you. <laughs> oh, but you <laughs> know what? It was a, but see, it, but see, that, that that's a great one. I don't remember how much detail I went in with the Dodge thing, but basically I have this Dodge vehicle. I had a Dodge vehicle prior to this vehicle and that vehicle conked out at like 50,000 miles. The engine's fucked oh. and it was a oh. big boy, 6.4 liter engine. So I had to get rid of that car. But I figured lightning cannot strike twice in the same place. It cannot strike the same car twice. So I got a different car, but under the same make Dodge. I get this situation where these lights flash on my dash and say, you're fucked, you're fucked, you're fucked, skull, skull and crossbones time. And so from this, I'm thinking, fuck Dodge. Fuck them, you know, twice, really. But I yet again have to be reminded that life is not that simple, falsetto. Because right. through this painful experience dealing with Dodge customer service, trying to get them to pay for a, a recall issue, I met this guy. He was an angelic humanoid presence that was with me every step of the way. He clearly did more than he, than he was getting paid to do. And he made such an impression that I made sure to hand deliver him a card with thanks and a couple of little model cars because he's, he's like a muscle car guy. So I got him a couple of little model muscle cars. We swapped info. And at some point, we're supposed to meet up for Hot Wings. Point nice. is that if I hadn't met him, I really would have left saying, fuck this car organization for the shit that they pulled on me. But now I have to look at it the next time this happens, but what if you meet another Super Steve? What That's if? Right. What if you meet another Super Steve that just swoops in and saves the fucking day? Yeah, and that, and that gives me yeah. a pause. You know that 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 really it really forces me to think things through. And like, I don't mind being pessimistic as long as I'm being fair. What I'm going to have to do is approach it with an, a clean slate next time. Yeah, screw yeah, screw my Kyle example. I inadvertently touched on like the actual real life example of two different experiences for you, right? Like, no, I agree. Screw Kyle. Yeah, screw Kyle. Uh, <laughs> but but seriously, with without Super Steve, we can't we can't say if this would have been a positive experience or not, right? But because of Super Steve, it was, and that gives you that hope in the future that if something unfortunate does happen, and I'm knocking on wood for you here for your car, uh, that, that nothing else happens. Don't hit with your this, that is, that I is couldn't help it. Couldn't help it. It can still be a positive experience, and maybe it, maybe it won't be right. But that's that's the unique thing of our lives. Every experience, right? My, I could I could have the same similar experience. Car of my goddamn dreams. Let me tell y'all, audience. I've I've ridden that first Dodge that Falsetto talked about, and it was it was a car that that would make your pants come off willingly. Right, pants come right, off. Right. And, okay, so <laughs> cocktail in this, in this Yeah, no, it's it's willingly to, and to go and now mind you, your second Dodge also a super fine vehicle, but it just sucks, right? So if I'd gone through that experience, there's no way my two experiences would have been the same. Right. And so that's how we have to approach it. So to answer your question, you have to approach, even though you know similarities or you see those signals, the red flags, right? The signals, Jerry, the signals that this is going to be a similar experience. You have to be able to take that step back and go, I have to give it a chance. 
right? And maybe you have some some guardrails in your head, or I mean, if this particular thing happens, like if 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 Super Steve takes a step to the left instead of the right, I'm out, right? And and that's fair to do, right? That's how you learn, and you make sure that you're able to be beneficial from the next experience instead of consistently being stepped on. That's how you kind of have to go about it. You you, you have an open mind, but it's learned, right? And it, and it knows to not let things go too far to quote unquote burn you again. There was a psychological term that we studied in school called the self-fulfilling prophecy. Now, much like these buzzsaw words in the white collar workplace industry, I am not a huge fan of the term because I think it's misleading and confusing, but it's really, it's really like a self-fulfilling prophecy, but it's linked to external affairs. So it's like a, a perception fulfilling prophecy where if you have a bad experience and you want to apply that to future affairs, fine. But just make sure that if you had a great experience, you do the same fucking thing. Maybe you're even being unduly optimistic. Like everything is wrong. And you're like, but no, no, you know, Super Steve wouldn't do me like that. You know, it's like, that's not blood on the floor. That's grape soda or something, or that's that's cranberry juice. It's not blood, <laughs> but don't but don't. I mean, you don't want to you don't want to get yourself in a in a corner with Michael Myers. But I'm just saying that in the end, just make sure that you're being fair on both sides, and you know that you you don't you don't be too harsh when you don't have a just cause to be harsh yet, but you're also not you know completely oblivious to what's actually happening. And then I think if you walk that that temperate path somewhere right in that sweet sticky narrow middle, maybe you'll find something that's resembling reasonable. It's hard too, you know. It's like sometimes you just want to feel bad. You're like you want to, you want to be angry. You want to self-deprecate, and you just want to be feeling sorry for yourself. But then you you, you, you take a moment, you think about somebody else who has it worse than you do. Oh, I, now I feel like an asshole for feeling bad about myself. You know, it's tough. Yeah, that's one hundred percent, man. My my dad, even all the way up until the point, and and you you might be able to relate to to some of this, but my dad, in in all of his optimism throughout his entire life, my my dad was probably on that point, like optimistic to a fault. Even diagnosed with the cancer, and, and we knew time was extremely short, right? No cure, treatment's not working. We know time's short. When anybody would come to visit, he had an old high school friend. I'm going to tell this story in very much detail in a uh, future episode of my own. He came to visit my dad shocked, like nobody knew he was coming. He just happened to hear, we had announced it on Facebook privately, that we were having this like special drive-through event because this was during COVID. So at this drive-through the lawn event, people could swing by, give well wishes and things to, to my dad. I'm standing at the driveway to greet people as they're coming in. And this, this guy pulls up and he, he rolls his window down. Hey, Wayne Bam, uh, been quite a while. And I'm like, dude, I know that face. But it was like, I was so small. And he was my dad's best high school friend, period. It was an immediate like, screw COVID restrictions and groups of people meeting and stuff like that. I'm like, you, sir, there is a field right next to the house. You go park and I need you to come and come and sit with my dad. And my dad immediately recognizes him, like calls him by name, like struggles to get up a little bit, gives him a hug. And, and then they sit on the bench together as people driving through. And the first question this friend of, of my dad's asked him was, hey, how you doing, man? I mean, it's, that's kind of right. Like you haven't seen this guy in 30 years and you know, you came to see him because you know what's going to happen. And you ask, hey, man, how you doing? He probably felt kind of ugh. Why did I just ask that? I know how he's doing. Stupid, stupid. But my dad's answer was this. I'm doing outstanding. And that was crazy. Like, I didn't understand that at the time. But then in my dad's eulogy, we had a few of us speak, and we asked my dad's best friend to, to come and talk as well. And he told the story. He said, that's how my dad has always been. That no matter what the viewpoint was, no matter how he was feeling, he would say outstanding. And then he asked him this one time. He goes, why do you always say you're, you're feeling outstanding? 
my dad said, well, I, I know how I am. I don't know how you are doing. So why would I trouble you with my problems before I even know how you're feeling? That blew me away, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm already in this like emotional state that day. And I hear this story and I'm crying like a baby again. And, but it's just like, holy crap. And it's like in that moment, like everything kind of came to a head. It wasn't him being overly optimistic. That was his way of making sure, and we talked about this in the last episode, dropping whoever he's talking to, their guard. So that they're like, oh, cool, he's doing great. And that was how my dad was able to get into and help people or, or chat to them in a way that, that kept them moving forward. I don't know, man. I, I say we, we all handle a little bit different. You, you alluded to like, sometimes we just want to get angry or we want to get upset or, or just kind of do it. That's great. I guarantee my dad did that. My mom probably saw that more than anybody else. Okay, so that, that, that's what I wanted to ask because I just yeah. I don't know the answer, which is, yeah. do you think that your dad's optimism was critical to his personality, to his core? Or do you think part of it was used sometimes for the benefit of those around him? Or was it a combination of the two? I think as I got older, with as, as a young kid, I thought that was just all he was. Right, right, right. Um, and, and, but as I as I grew older and, and, and also spent the last few years reflecting, trying to integrate some of this personality of my own, kind of continue his, his legacy, so to speak, I think it's more of a way of saying like, man, I've got problems, but your problems could definitely be worse than mine. Hey, falsetto, man, I, I didn't, I didn't get to move to that position I wanted to today. Man, that freaking sucks. And you're like, yeah, dude, man, let me tell you, I just walked into the house and, and Jason Voorhees was there and he just cut off my left leg. And, and I'm like, well, crap, my thing's no longer relevant. But it is because if you had gotten that position at your current job, <laughs> then you, you would have had the technology and umbrella to tell me that he was in my house before I opened the door, asshole. That's fair. That's fair. My dad told me once that when he was married, I, I think it was to my mom and not his previous wife, but. He said they went to like a kind of like a couple's retreat thing, not because they had problems, but it was really just so that they could to see what it was like or to maybe just get a little education out of it. You know how we've said, if you take away one or two nuggets from a conference or from a seminar, that's not a waste of time, right? Like if you listen to six hours of Jocko and you take away one big revelatory story, then that could be worth the six hours potentially, because now you don't have to go back and listen to the six hours again. You can just focus on that one segment. He said that one thing they learned, you know, married couples, especially couples that have been together for a long time. And this isn't something that everyone knows. It's something you maybe learn if you're lucky, but it was an exercise where they would pass around a book that had passages highlighted. And then one would read the highlighted passage to the other. And then they would ask the two, the couple about it later. And they would ask them separately, but in front of each other. What was your understanding of that passage? Mm. And what they learned was you can have a couple and they're told the same information, more or less, but they took a completely different complexion on it, both of them. That's it, it, it drives home the point of how important communication is and not assuming things. You don't want to assume that just because you said something that the person understood it the way that you intended, right? I mean, that when you think about it like this, it's kind of no duh. But if you think about how many interactions you have at work or with your own spouse or whatever, you're just assuming or taking for granted the fact that they get what you're saying and that you get what they're saying. But maybe you don't. And maybe if you just ask a few follow-up questions, the secrets to the universe will be unlocked, perhaps. I want to do a little exercise myself where my recollection of how we met I want to briefly tell you, or you can okay. tell me who, who wants to go first. You just give me a brief synopsis of, of the circumstances in which we met. You want to go first? You want to flip a coin? I'll, I'll go first. Okay. I'll go first because you already yeah, can flip a coin, but you only know what I tell you. 50-50. Um, <laughs> nine heads means it has to be a tail. That's right. It was at a apartment property my wife was working at, and they were having some breakfast thing or, or something where they were trying to bring the community together. And I was there, didn't know really anybody. 
uh, the property outside of the folks that my wife worked with. We both knew Jay. Uh, that's what I'll call him uh, for this right now. I was wearing a Coheed and Cambria t-shirt, scarfing down 17 stacks of pancakes or whatever they were serving. And, and you, you approached me, introduced yourself, and we just kind of started chatting. Like you commented on my Coheed shirt and I was like, yeah, listen to him. And, and we kind of started talking about music a little bit. And thus started the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Okay, that is all correct. Now, I will say there were no pancakes. They had these shitty muffins that were from like three weeks ago. They, I think I think they were originally like plain <laughs> muffins, but they had what resembled blueberries. They weren't blueberries. That was fucking fungi, bro. So I hope you didn't eat too much. But do you remember one of the bands that I, I was familiar with, Go Eat in Cambria? I wasn't a diehard enough fan. I'd never been to any of their concerts. I certainly didn't have a fucking shirt. But do you remember one of the bands that I brought up that I thought was similar in like kind and quality music because like it would come on Pandora as a like kind and quality band? You remember the band that I brought up and you knew them and you loved them. And I'll give you a hint. It's one word bands. One word, not a lot of letters. Pretty sure it was Tool. Oh, so close. It was Thrice. Oh, dang it. You're right. See, audience, as a married couple, as far as a married couple goes, if Wham, Bam, and Falsetto were married, that would be what I would consider to be an, an accurate recollection of, of transpired events. Now, I do have a lingering question, though, because I don't, I never, I don't think I ever really knew the answer, which is why did your, why do you think your wife, like, never mind what your wife may or may not have told you. But why do you think your wife was shielding you from me? What was, the, what was the fear? Did you know someone pre-falsetto who she thought was going to lead you down a dark life of satanic ritual devil's trap slaughter? Like, what was the end-all, be-all reason of why you do not need to be associating with that man? Oh, man. Um, so, I'm going to preface this before I start. When we started we Whiskey Wednesdays, I'm going to take a sip. Synchronicity. Right. That was a synchronicity right. sip. I liked it. I felt it all. Felt it all bubbly inside. <laughs> I'm going to preface this, this story. My wife knew, even as I was doing chemo hack sessions with you, she was like, she was like, oh man, are these Whiskey Wednesdays? I just know y'all are going to get to the story. So she's realize, already... I think of a story. She's Hold already... Second, it's, I, don't, I don't think it's a big story either, but okay. she's always like, God, y'all are going to talk about me. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we are. She was... That, that was her first property into moving into the to the uh, to the apartment worlds leasing and, and all of that and jay who i alluded to earlier was JJ. Her, um, jj was her immediate supervisor i don't think she was technically shielding me from you i think it's because you would you would frequent the office and you would go right into jj's office and y'all chit chat laugh whatever and and so she could like see and hear y'all chatting laughing guy stuff right and i think maybe that's what she was worried about <laughs> She liked JJ, but she also knew, like, and we both know, JJ was a little crazy. I think she was just worried that since JJ attracted that with you, that that would attract me as well. And I think more often, it wasn't she was worried, I like, me and you would become friends. I think she was worried, like, all three of us would go out and cause hell, because, uh, let's be real, that, that probably would have been a real thing. So it would be, like, three guys popping up shotguns at watermelons on top of Cadillacs and whatnot in the parking lot. Absolutely. Okay, as far as JJ goes, he was a wild man. He's oh, the man. kind of guy that will use the oh, same man. knife to cut the chicken, the raw chicken, and the beef, and the sausage, all for the family event. He's the kind of guy that he'll diddle around with the jalapenos and then go pee without ever washing his hands. He was a wild man, but the best wild man story I can think of, he can make me laugh because he was so insane. And it was great. He was an entertaining, walking, talking story unto himself. But we were texting one day. He was a family man. He was always busy, so he, he rarely would make time. But I was asking if he uh, you know, wanted to hang out that night, and I think initially he said no. But then he said, oh, you know what? Actually, I'm going to be meeting this guy that I know from way back when. Might have even been from the military. I don't remember. But he was meeting him at this local bar, uh, Woodrow's, Little Woodrow's, something along those lines. So he texted me. He said, all right, well, if you want to meet us, that's, you know, that's cool. Uh, you know, we'll be there at like 8 o'clock. And then he went on to say, now, Falsetto, uh, the guy has one arm. 
you know, so don't be weird. Don't act in a way that would be unbecoming of someone who's seeing someone who only has one arm. Don't and walk I see in this, on that I, one leg you have. I see this message and I'm thinking, what the fuck does he think I'm going to do? Like, it, it was out of character because he never seemed to be concerned about that, like how mm-hmm. you were seen. So I'm, I'm waiting for the, for the joke. The joke's on me, I guess. I had this guy pegged wrong. Well, be patient, audience. About 30 seconds later, right after he said, he advised me to be careful what I said around one arm, man. He sent me an emoji of an arm and a shark with a mouth wide open approaching the arm. <laughs> wow. And I don't even know to this day because I never went. It, it, it fell through. But I never knew, I never knew to this day if there was even a man or if the man even had one arm or if he had both arms working, working in tandem. The guy was probably uh, ambidextrous for fuck's sake. I don't know. Man, I feel bad. Like you think I would make fun of someone for some disability. And then you send me a shark and a fucking arm. And I'm like, you son of a bitch. JJ, you you fucking got me. I had some fun times with JJ, but he uh, was not the most reliable. And see, that's what I meant when we started Whiskey Wednesday number one. I was saying, audience, sometimes you meet someone and they're great. They're reliable. They're dependable. They're relatable. But they're not very fun. Other times, people can be a shit ton of fun. But you can't count on them for shit. So every once in a while, though, you'll meet someone that's fun and you can depend on them. Hence, Wham Bam Cam. Whiskey Wednesdays with Wham Bam Cam. Wham Bam starting his own fucking show. Now, are you ready? Are you ready to reveal? Are you ready to unveil? Are you ready to release the beast of the name of your podcast? Or are you going to save that for the actual thing? Which is fine. I just thought I'd ask. I want to save it. Save I it. want to save it. But save it. The, the very next, whether whether we do a, a Kimohawk or, or a Whiskey Wednesday, the day it airs, whatever one we record next, I will reveal here. That way, that way we can start coining your audience that way as well. It's the magician's mantra, you know, you always leave them wanting more. So that's good. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, it'll, I think this will work really, really well. I think our perspective podcasts are going to kind of work in tandem. Like yours is right now, the white collar black belt series is very, very corporate driven survival of the white collar world. That's literally how I describe it to, to like my friends, family uh, and, and coworkers. Like this is survival of the white collar world. Regardless of what side you were on, if you're if you're the you know the employee to the to the man, middle manager to a leader, right? Like it, you you do great on touching on all that and how to survive it. And you throw in a dash of that real world experience as well, where where mine will be a lot, a little bit more of the real world experience, and, and maybe I'll throw in some some of the dash. So I, I really think like those two are going to work really well in tandem together. So I'm pretty excited to uh, kind of launch that. And I think those are just two things that like we're like what caused you to start your podcast was those events in your life. And similarly for mine, those events in my life made me want to do it this way. So I think it's pretty cool, man. It's just, it's crazy how the cookie crumbles. We will definitely be cross pollinating the podcast. Oh yeah. I will be a recurring guest most likely on Wham Bam's. He'll of course be a recurring guest on mine. I'm going to tell you that as far as white collar black belt goes, I think I'm approaching the third act of material. I mean, I've got like 40 episodes, eight shorts. I've talked pretty much talked about highs of the highs. Definitely dabbled in the lows of the lows, but I think I still have probably about another, I don't know, a handful of episodes in me. There's a couple of people that I've been meaning to get on for that. They're not available till November. So I want to make sure that there's still material for them. But what's going to keep white collar black belt alive is if you or anyone that you know have special requests, or if you just want to talk about specific white collar related things, Mm -hmm. keep your ear to the ground. If anyone that you work with that listens to it, if there's any specific. So for example, what I heard was that a lot of people liked the discussion on the mission statement, vision statement, because they found that to be something that not a lot of people think about, but it does matter. Because like, if you don't even know what your company's mission is, what are you fucking doing? Right. hundred percent. hundred percent. And a couple of my, a couple of my coworkers who, who've listened to it, uh, one of the episodes they liked the most because 
Umbrella is very guilty of this, is the meetings of meetings the, and, and the other meetings for meetings and, and those meetings. Oh, yeah, the post-meetings, the pre-meetings. That's like George Carlin. What the fuck does pre-board a plane mean? To get on before you get on? What is this? Yeah. You know what, Wayne, babe, I've had you on. I've, I've asked you questions. If you have any questions right now before this segment breaks into the end of the segment and we have to start up another segment, why don't you just give it a go? Ask any questions you want to ask right now. Boom, go. Ah, so, well, let's circle back, man. I, we should turn that part into a segment, too. You asked me my, my one high and low for the day. You may have told me before we clicked record today, but you want to share some of that for our audience? That'd be kind of cool. The high was in the fact that I was anticipating going to the DMV and that it was going to be a shitty experience, that I was going to have to walk over a dead guy, step on a syringe, get AIDS, and be told that my paperwork was not up to snuff. I get there, and there was this busybody woman that was in front of me. And the way that she climbed out of her vehicle and slammed the door that had tape on the bumper, I'm thinking, this isn't going to go well. Like, this girl is not going to get what she came for. And sure enough, the last words, the trail into the words that I heard in her discussion with the lady in front of me. So there's, you're saying there's nothing that you can do? There's nothing you can do for me today? Well, she finally got out of there. This lady was pleasant. She took care of me. Half the paperwork I brought didn't even need. And I will be getting my new title, free and clear, in a couple of weeks. The awesome. high was just that it was less painful. It was a less painful yeah. procedure yeah. than I was told. I was told they're going to hack into your neck, and you're going to need some. You're going to need some volume. Yeah. It's the fucking DMV. Who, who, like we were talking about experiences earlier. Like you say, the DMV, and everybody here shudders. Oh yeah, the low. The low is definitely tied to just okay. I hate wasting time. Mm. The, only, the only thing I hate more than wasting time probably is sleeping. Because if I had it my way, I would just never sleep. Because you sleep when you waste time. I know it's important, but to me, it's like waste time. Be that as it may, I was riddled with about five separate computer issues today. So much so that I was afraid that Whiskey Wednesdays would have to become Whiskey fucking Thursdays. But I got through it, but it was very painstaking, and I do not have patience for that shit. So that was the low. The low started bad, but it ended on a good note, and the good was just the realization that it wasn't shitty. <laughs> now, Pontiots, hold on to your britches, because I have finished the script for the first part of the Halloween Horror Short, and I have sent it to Wham Bam Cam in fine fashion. So we are going to familiarize ourselves with the reading. And we will have it read with flamboyant fucking personality and presented by Halloween. And then yeah. after you are terrified and you have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on psychological therapy to pull you out of the horror-stricken rut you found yourself in, you or can come back for- on a good bottle of whiskey. Ooh, whiskey. Man, if only we could incorporate the horror shorts into Whiskey Wednesdays, it would be the horror of the bottle. Or the horror. I, I, I will probably horror. be drinking. I'm just saying. Okay, it sounds fine. I'll be like Ron White when I'm doing these things. I'll just always have a glass of scotch or something in my hand. Well, if you drink too much, you'll be Ron Brown or Ron Burgundy because of the ah. uh, the color of the amber liqueur working its way through your veins. How's that pecan? Pecan. Um, I have eaten them all. Oh, <laughs> they were sweet, very delicious. Sweet. And this is forever now how I will do it with this particular whiskey. Definitely be sharing that amongst all of the family and friends and um audience do it do it now do it i just had this brilliant idea uh oh what if you did a smoky whiskey with vanilla coke and then you added the nuts mm. but the only problem is you you definitely couldn't use a straw because those nuts would muck up fuck up that straw so damn fast all right fine something to think about so halloween halloween is around the bend what is this renaissance festival fair bullshit what tell me what that's about yeah we're going to uh rent fair here in Texas this Saturday. We went a lot way back in the day, but you wear uh, a costume? 
we typically want to try but dude as last year and this year we just time time is a construct and i always forget that it exists and, and so all of a sudden i was like oh that's this weekend yeah i got nothing mm-hmm. um so just gonna i'm just gonna go dressed as an adult who pretends to care and uh that that should be a good enough and try not to blow all my money on all the shiny swords daggers and things that i'll be seeing there i went to some renaissance festivals when i was a kid even as early high school and it was a good time i think i went back once maybe like five or six years after that but it's been a long time long time good way to blossom steam for me for halloween i will be taking red devil to an area in north carolina they call them cryptids i believe is the fancy language for them now but they're these like well-known supernatural slash horror entities that exist like the mothman for example we take her to a place where the beast of Bladenborough, Bladenborough refers to a creature responsible for a string of deaths, Bladenborough, North Carolina, animals in the winter of 1953 to 1954. According to witnesses and trackers, it was likely a wildcat, but its identity was ultimately not definitively confirmed. So that is where I will be taking her. It's about two Dang. hours away. Okay. Two hours, man. Yeah, it's nothing. That's that's not like that dang drive that the wife and I made to DC when we came to see I was like, oh yeah, we're just gonna go to DC, and you were like, dude, that's a little further than you think it is, and it, it definitely was. I just had to go there to pick Red Devil up from the airport, and it was Oof. it was fucking brutal. Don't like it. Don't like it at all. Don't go. Don't go to DC. I don't care if it's the nation's capital. Don't do it. Now, earlier you were talking about moments in history and how they can have significance, even if at the time they are not given their proper course or their due justice but i was actually going to share this on a an upcoming chemo walk session white collar black belt but i just the timing's such that did you ever watch the x-files wham bam cam did as, i did as a younger kid i remember a few episodes like those jarring oh god moments but i didn't didn't rewatch it as an adult so I, I, I do know of the show though i will tell you that it holds up really well we can talk about that when we get to movies talking about how it's not really a movie's fault or a show's fault if it it's if it becomes dated but I will say that it holds up really well for quality, content, the plot, the mechanics of it. It holds up very well, very well. But there was an episode in like season nine. The name of the episode is a two-part episode, but the episode is called Nothing Important Happened Today. There's a scene between Kirsch, who's the director of the FBI at this time, and then Agent John Doggett, played by Robert Patrick, who you will remember him. He was the creepy-ass killer in uh, Terminator 2, the T-1000. Okay. But so Alvin Kirsch, you know, is talking to Doggett, who's very mad because he feels like Alvin Kirsch has been hiding shit from him. And then Kirsch just asked him, he's like, you ever hear of King George III? You answer my question, says Doggett. And then Kirsch says, he was king of England when America declared independence in 1776. King George III kept a diary. On July 4th, 1776, he made an entry in it. Nothing important happened today. And then Doggett what the hell does that have to do with me? A revolution started. Things that change the world forever. And even kings can miss them if they are not paying attention. Mm. Now, I thought that was just absolutely poetry. Wow. But come to find out, looking into a little further, uh, there's a lot of speculation that that was just done for the show. That apparently King George III didn't keep a fucking diary. It's like, you know Aww. what? I don't give a fuck. In my mind, it happened. It sounds you know? awesome. It sounds awesome. <laughs> uh, so, you know, but but the important thing here is that when things are happening, you at least give them a little bit of attention because you never know yeah. how they're going to come into play later. Like when you play that game Clue, you know, everybody likes that game Clue. Yeah, yeah. Important to know what, what device they use since like they got hit over the head with a large pickle or whatever the hell. Pickles. Maybe a loaf of ciabatta ciabatta man i'll tell you when i was growing up 
it was the Kabata. Well, I call it Kabata because I'm probably an uncouth fucktard, but mm, it's, that, it, it's that damn Irish blood. It was it was the sourdough <laughs> Jack from Jack in the Box, oh. and it was the thing that was on Kabata bread, whatever it was called. Mm. But it was it was another sandwich. And then I realized that when you go see the doctor, they say, "Okay, do you want to eat Jack in the Box or do you want to live?" Oh, I guess I should probably cut back on the Jack in the Box. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. no, I'm, I'm, I'm about you said sourdough jack dude i just got hungry <laughs> now tell me a story tell me about a story at a time in your life where you pranked someone good maybe they were being a little bit of a dick bag and you put them in their place once and for fucking all you can think of a story because we can bring this full circle with my story all right we're gonna go with this one that's the first one i can think of and it's one of, it's one of my most finer moments uh, and, and i didn't lead this i was just part of it uh but in high school the senior prank I'm gonna say the number wrong all, all my high school friends who are gonna listen to this they're gonna be like it was 49 kids or 55 kids or 60 kids. i don't remember how many it was less than 70 kids in my senior class like we were a very tiny oh, school wow. but what our senior prank was uh was taking our ag teacher's truck making a copy of it in the ag shop of his key and for homecoming, having it parked on the 50 yard line. It was great. He what? had no idea it was coming. Yeah, it was great. Um, like he, cause for it, it, the football field was like across the field from the ag shop. And so in like in between school ending for the day and it was homecoming, none of the teachers are leaving. None of that. Like we're just going, we're going to homecoming. So we just moved his truck. He never knew he didn't have to go to his truck for anything. And it wasn't until he got to the field that he was like, wait, that's my truck and so like of course we had to like get the truck moved and the officials were pissed and all that stuff but it was just funny and now we didn't do it in spite of of the ag teacher in fact it's probably one of my favorite top three teachers that i had in in high school right because um, they were they were worth you going through all that trouble. dude dude ag was awesome man he, he was he was a really good guy um but it, it was just funny and, and of course uh and i can tell these stories later on in, in other episodes but he, he he'd get us back he would definitely get us back so re yeah remind me in a future episode now i'll tell you i'll tell you the story of how he had us build a barn and then there there's our leaving it for for more later was his reaction to your prank worth the worth worth the risk and the trouble me he, he was a little upset so he was a very fair-skinned individual we're all 17 18 years old he, he was one of the youngest teachers we had at the school he's probably 24 25 and already completely bald and that was just natural he did not do it by choice and he he got pretty dang red which was we didn't know if it was mad or embarrassing uh, but he did he did make one of the senior uh, classmen move the truck for him so he didn't have to go out into the field and do it oh that's great well it's funny so i had a similar one in high school just in the same time frame there was a guy i knew growing up in my old neighborhood named trevor lived across the street from me he was my childhood friend now, some people aren't fortunate enough to have childhood friends, but I had one. His name was fucking Trevor. I spent probably four or five years of my life with him in my formative years. And then he moved to, I believe, California to live because his parents were divorced. And I think that's where his dad lived. So he finally moved to California. Fast forward about 10 years. And now I'm in high school and I'm playing tennis my sophomore year of high school. And I stumble upon Trevor again. Hadn't seen him in years. And he's eight, 10 years older now, but I recognized him immediately. And it took a little bit of feeling out. Like it took a couple of weeks. We both kind of had to reacclimate to the fact that, holy shit, you know, I knew you from my childhood. Well, there we were uh, on lunch breaks. Our, like our fourth period class was tennis. So we would play tennis. We would just, we would rack tennis balls at the girls and the other guys. And it was, it was a good way to spend an hour. And then we would go to the locker room and change so that we could go to lunch. Well, Trevor had been a bit of a loud mouth for the last couple of weeks. And he was really being a pain in my ass, picking at everything and just being a little finicky persnickety little shit basically and around this time the five gallon water jugs would be filled up with ice water to stay ice cold for the varsity team that would play you know at the end of the day like seventh period 
five-gallon water jugs were just sitting there in the locker room. Trevor and I skipped out early, so we were in the locker room changing, and he was basically in his tidy whities at this point, and I was already dressed because I was a quick dresser. All right, well, I'm going to go to lunch now, so I'll see you when you get there, you slowpoke. And then he called me some names that were unflattering, and it was just like the final straws. Like, you know what? He's still in his tidy whities He's basically in prison right there. He can't just run out because he's like 90% naked. I picked up that five-gallon water jug full of ice water. I turned the light off, and I just threw it in his direction and ran. <laughs> and, and the door was one of those doors that you see like in a restaurant where it just pushes open, pushes closed. And the door is flapping as I turn around and look and it's dark and I hear him go, no! all I can say is it took him about 35 minutes to show up to lunch and he was pissed and it was mm. glorious. So I got Trevor with some ice cold water and just to make things more fun, I turned the light off. So he, got, he probably didn't know what the fuck happened. He, he probably thought I was still in the room. And then all the five gallons of ice. Ah, and there, I'll tell you, no Super Bowl was no one. There's no windows. There's no nothing. Oh, man. You turn those lights off and great. he was blind. Oh, man. I got that <laughs> son of a bitch. Okay. Well, did you have any last thoughts? Any errant dialogue? Any epiphanies that have roiled over and boiled over in your head in the last you know hour? I'd say we'll, we'll go back to our original discussion at the beginning. Audience, when a similar situation comes around, don't take it at face value. Don't take it by that initial gut reaction. Give it a chance. You never know how it's going to turn out. Right. And if you're going to put emphasis on past burns or times that you were Judas or times that you were Julius Caesar or whatever, if you think about those times, fine. But also think about the times where people went out of their way. Like a guy I knew in college, Benjamin, you great fucking mammal, you. This guy was goofy and I don't know how we were going to get along. But I asked if I could borrow his resume guide because back in the day, you know, you would look at little things like resume guides, how to improve <laughs> yeah. your resume. You I asked, look it up. <laughs> right, right. I asked if I could borrow it. He said, sure. So he was in Huntsville, Texas, and I was in Houston. He drove an hour and 20 minutes to hand deliver that to me while I was working at Starbucks. Mm. And I was like, what the, what are you doing here? I could have gotten that from you next week at school. And he's like, man, you know, I don't, I don't know if I was going to be there next week. I just wanted to make, make sure you have it. And then he just left, turned around and drove back to Huntsville. About a three-hour round-trip deal to hand yeah. me a fucking pamphlet. A pamphlet, audience. That's wow. the second time we talked about pamphlets on this episode. Pamphlet. This glass that I'm consuming what's left of my whistle pig in. This is a glass that I found a company in Ireland that does... Okay, now if it's on a glass, engraving... Or so, etching? I don't know. Well, we're just going to say for purposes of this that I had engraved on these drinking glasses, one of a segment from one of my poems. And I thought it was so fucking clever. That's why I'm sharing it. But it says... One of the glasses broke, unfortunately, but I have this one lingering glass and the message that is uh, engraved on the glass says, and when their hearts renounce all hope, they raise their spirits, raise your spirit, wham, bam, cam, raise your glass. They raise sip. their spirits, sip and cope. That's the line from my poem. But I was just, I like the double entendre, the spirits, the spirits is like, ah, well, audience, I do so hope that you found our intoxication, intoxicating. As we sip these spirits, we aim to raise your own. As you unwind the sobering daily fucking grind, know that we lap up these libations to add levity to your lives. This has been more fun than when I threw that five-gallon field jug of ice-cold water at my childhood friend Trevor as he stood terrified in the dark in his boxers. Tune in, come back upright and erect <laughs> for your next Whiskey Wednesdays or Whisk Wednesday or whisk wed if you are feeling efficient. Coming soon to a Wednesday near you. Whiskey Wednesdays with Wham Bam Cam. Third Wednesday, Whiskey Grip. 
instead of key grip. See what I did there? Nice. <laughs> Falsetto and wham bam cam out.